Children love to imitate their heroes. Little boys who grow up in Canada want to play hockey, and they want to be like Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, or Austin Matthews. Often little girls will take a hairbrush and sing in front of the mirror, pretending to be Taylor Swift or uh, Selena Gomez. Teenagers often follow the style and uh, interests of their pop culture icons. A lot of adults would like to walk in the shoes of, of Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos. I watch seminary students try to, try to mimic the, the style of their favorite preachers. We have all observed the power of examples. Good or bad, the power of an example. In my opinion, the most powerful form of persuasion is the spoken word. And just under it and connected to it is the persuasive power of an example. And Jesus himself did both. His, his teaching explained his life, and his life exemplified his teaching. He gave us both word and example. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about examples. He talks about the importance of avoiding bad examples and following or emulating good ones. You may remember from the sermon last week, last Sunday, that Paul held out hope that some of Timothy's opponents, some of the, the false teachers who were circling the church at Ephesus, might be granted repentance and come to a knowledge of the truth. Let me take you back to 2 Timothy chapter 2 for just a moment, verse 24. He, he says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Here it is. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses. So he holds out hope that some of them will respond in repentance and get right with God. But as he moves into chapter 3, it's, it's as if reality settles in and we see that many of them, many of them will never arrive at the truth. And therefore, we must avoid their ungodly examples. The reality is that some people will never come to a knowledge of the truth. They prefer irreverent babble that, that spreads like gangrene. They prefer youthful passions to God's righteousness. They prefer foolish, ignorant controversies rather than uh, diving into the meat and potatoes of God's inspired word. Truth is, some people will never arrive at the truth. And that's, that's why Paul writes in, in chapter 3, verse 1, But understand this. In the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. This paragraph opens by signaling a contrast 
from the previous paragraph in chapter 2, the end of chapter 2. But understand this, Paul says. So although he hopes that some of the false teachers in Ephesus there will repent, he does not want to give an unrealistic picture of of the situation. God may grant repentance to some. Yes, and we hope that that number is large and growing. But it's also clear that opposition will continue in the last days. And his reference to the last days puts the present into eschatological perspective. The last days actually began with the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 17. So Paul's prediction of difficult days is, is actually being fulfilled already. We're in the last days now. We're living in the times of difficulty now. And those, those days, those last days, are clearly described in verses 2 to 5. The list begins and ends with references to misplaced love. People will be lovers of self and lovers of money, verse 2. That's how the list begins. They will also be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, verse 4. That's how the the list ends. They're they're simply bad examples to, to everyone else. 19 different expressions in this list to illustrate just how bad their example to us really is. These people don't love God and and they are a bad example to the rest of the population. At the annual meeting of the Heart and Stroke Foundation a few years ago, Doctors, nurses, and researchers gathered in Toronto to discuss, among other things, uh, the importance of a low-fat diet and how, how a low-fat diet plays in, uh, an important role in keeping our hearts healthy. And yet, during mealtimes, they consumed fat-filled fast food, uh, big, fat, juicy cheeseburgers and fries, at the same rate as people who were attending other conventions in the city. When one cardiologist was asked whether or not his eating of high-fat meals set a bad example, he said, oh, no, not me. I took my name tag off. You you took your name tag off? You, You never stop being an example to the people around you, whether they know your name or not. You're always setting an example, good or bad. That's the question, too. Are you setting a good example or a bad example? Brothers and sisters in Christ, is your example a godly example or an ungodly one? It doesn't matter if people know your name or not. It's evident from 2 Timothy chapter 3 that most of the people living in the last days are totally self-centered. Their lives are totally self-centered. The last days are characterized primarily by misplaced love. Instead of loving God, they love themselves. Instead of loving other people, they love themselves instead, which, which just leads them to be proud and arrogant, abusive, disobedient, unruly, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, and so on and so forth. But that all, that all begins with misplaced love. Now, when you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love yourself instead, you put yourself in place of God. 
Furthermore, the Bible says disruptive and stubborn people like this must be avoided because their religion is just a show. Their religion is just a show. It's just a sham. Having the appearance of godliness, they deny its power. Avoid such people, Paul says to Timothy and to us. So, so they're, they're religious people, and, and that's what makes it hard to distinguish them from other people. They, they look religious. They, they sound religious. They have the appearance of godliness. They might have the right words and the right movements and the right whatever, but they, they focus on, on the rules and not on the relationship with Jesus. They, they will act religious, and they might even speak religious words, but they will reject the power and the source of power that can make them holy. They reject the power of the Holy Spirit. They want to do it in their own strength, according to the rules, not based on relationship. And, 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 and Paul says, stay away from people like that. <laughs> Avoid people like that. They, they do no good. They're, they're not good examples. Avoid those ungodly examples at all costs. So if there are religious people in the church who persistently live like this and behave like this, then they should be avoided, which, which might also mean that they need to be disinvited from the fellowship of the church, or another word for that is excommunication. They should be disciplined in love by the elders of the church with the goal of restoring them in their relationship with God. They should be disciplined. They should be put out of the fellowship of the church until they repent of their sin and and, and get things right again with God and with the body of Christ. Church discipline and even, even church excommunication is exercised in order to restore people, not to... Not to punish them, but to restore them by the grace of God. And, and of course, we should not avoid contact with all unbelievers. The individuals in view here are those who are within the church, pretending to follow Jesus, pretending to be Christians, but wrecking the lives of other believers along the way. And finally, as if their corrupt lives and religious emptiness were not enough, Paul says that certain people would also try to win converts to their twisted religion. Their their proselytizing is evil. Verse 6, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So they, they creep into households. That, that paints quite a picture, doesn't it? It means their, their methods were not uh, out in the open. There was no integrity to their methodology, their proselytizing is evil. They are secretive and sneaky like Satan himself. You can almost hear the hiss of the serpent in that, can't you? They sought to capture their victims, which were very often uh, women who were weakened by the heavy burdens of the sin they carried. The, the false teachers took advantage of immature Christian women. 
And my friends, to this very day, the Jehovah's Witnesses, cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses, target immature Christian women in their efforts to lead them astray and get their husbands to follow after them. That's their primary target. So there's really nothing new under the sun. Furthermore, just like the Egyptian sorcerers who opposed Moses, these men also oppose the truth because they're corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. They're, they're false teachers. They're, they're, they're phony Christians, and, and we should not follow their example. And, and, and before Paul moves on, he, he, he encourages Timothy and us by saying in verse 9, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So even though the situation may look grim, even though it, it, it appears like so many people are abandoning the ship, Christianity will not collapse. because We know how this story ends, right? We know who wins in the end. Oh, don't worry, my friends. Continue in what you know to be true. God will preserve his truth. Bad examples or ungodly examples are just that. Bad examples or ungodly examples. They don't rule the church. They're not the norm. They, they get in the way and they make, they make trouble for us. But they do not rule the kingdom. God will preserve his church. This has happened before. The wheat and the tares grow up together. Remember? God will separate them in the end, at the end of the age. He has always delivered his people. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And, 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 and he, he never promised that life would be easy. He never promised us a bowl of cherries, but he did promise to be with us and to rescue us and to bring us to our forever home, to rescue us, either in this life or in glory. The Bible also encourages us to follow godly examples there are bad examples to avoid, and there are good examples to emulate. So he switches gears in verse 10 to talk about the godly examples that we should keep an eye on. Verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. So this is the call to continue in the gospel of God. When I started this series a few weeks ago, I gave you a very simple breakdown of the letter of 2 Timothy. Chapter 1, guard the gospel. Chapter 2, suffer for the gospel. Chapter 3, continue in the gospel. Chapter 4, preach the gospel. So in here, here in, in, in chapter 3, Paul is urging us or prompting us to continue in the gospel, to continue in the things that we've learned and heard as the gospel's preached, and, and, and to follow this godly example of Paul. Every leader ought to be able to say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 
Leadership is not lordship. It doesn't force people to follow. Leadership provides a godly example for others to follow Jesus and invites them onto the pathway of discipleship. That's what good leadership does. And we need godly leaders in our lives. Every one of us do. We need men and women who will point us to Jesus through their lives, through their examples, their teaching, their conduct, their faith, and so on. We need that. Their example helps us to continue in the gospel, which is the focus of chapter 3. Continuing in the gospel and continuing to live for Jesus. And yes, it's true. Verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's true. While evil people and impostors go on from bad to worse, uh, deceiving and being deceived. It's, it's true. Bad stuff will continue to happen to good people. And, and yes, it's not fair. But in the end, you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. Persecution and suffering may come because we follow Jesus, but it's worth it. It's entirely worth it. When, when he was just seven years old, his family was forced out of their home on a legal technicality, and he had to go to work to support the family. Seven years old. At age nine, his mother died. At 22, he lost his job as a store clerk. He wanted to become a lawyer, but he didn't have the right education. At 23, he went into debt to become a a partner in a small store. At 26, his business partner died, leaving him with a, a large debt that took years to repay. At 28, after courting a girl for four years, he proposed marriage to her, but she said no. At 37, on his third try to be elected to public office, and two years later, he failed to be reelected. At age 41, his four-year-old son died. At 45, he ran for the United States Senate and lost. At 47, he failed in his bid as a vice presidential candidate. At 49, he ran for the Senate again and lost again. And finally, at 51, he was elected president of the United States. His name was Abraham Lincoln. And according to many people, he is the the finest example the United States has ever had in a leader. So you see, you you, you can't quit. No matter how much opposition comes your way, no, no, no matter who opposes you or what happened, you can't quit. You can't throw in the towel. You have to continue in what you've heard and what you've learned in the gospel of God. Don't quit. It's always too soon to quit. We, 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 we can't quit. We need to press on. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We can't fix our eyes on the world. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he's worth it. We, we set our mind on things above and not the things that are on earth because Jesus is worth it. We, we run the race with endurance, the race that's marked out for us because Jesus is worth it. So... Brothers and sisters, so continue in what you've learned and heard in the gospel of God. Continue to follow the best godly examples of Jesus that you can find. Continue in the truth. Success seldom comes without pain and perseverance. Just take the case of author John Grisham. For example, John Grisham is the world's most successful novelist in the last decade, commercially. I mean, he he has well over 100 million books in print in 31 languages. And yet he was hardly an overnight success. 
in his transition from being a lawyer to being a writer. Hardly an overnight success. A Time to Kill, his first novel, was rejected by 24 different agents and publishers. And, and when a book agent finally took a risk and, and, and took him on as a client, Grisham bought a thousand copies of his own book and sold them out of the trunk of his car. Only after his second novel, The Firm, hit the bestsellers list did he get his big break. Six of his books have now been made into movies, and one of his books has sold 2.8 million copies. So you can't give up. Grisham never gave up. You can't give up either. Don't give up. Don't give up on the gospel. Don't give up on Jesus. Continue in what you have heard and what you've learned. Press on, my dear brothers and sisters. It's always too soon to quit. Press on in the power of the Holy Spirit. Be bold. Be filled. Press on and continue in what you've learned in the gospel of God. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, this morning we, we feel like hungry little birds with our mouths wide open wanting to be fed. We're hungry, Lord. And I'm glad that you're the God who gives endurance and encouragement because we're really starving for both. I praise you this morning for these twin sisters of grace, endurance and encouragement. One without the other would simply not be enough. Endurance without encouragement could easily shrivel into heartlessness. And encouragement without endurance can wither into, into short-lived enthusiasm. Oh, Lord, give us, give us what we need. Give us, give us both, bunches and bunches of both. Father, our church family is, is so much like the churches that Paul must have had in mind even as he wrote 2 Timothy. We come from many different backgrounds, but we're... All of us, we're all prime candidates for a fresh filling, a fresh anointing, of a fresh visitation of the Holy Spirit. So come, come this morning in all of your power, Holy Spirit. Help us to be the most godly examples of Jesus that can be found anywhere on the planet. And so those watching us, those looking at our lives, whether they know our names or not, are saying to themselves, man... That, that guy, that gal is a great example to follow. Give us the grace, Lord, to continue in what we have learned in the gospel. And we'll give you all the glory and honor that might seep into our lives as a result of us following Jesus. We pray this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.